Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to another episode of your own personal Beatles. I am always, I'm Jack Pelling and with me is... Robin Allender. Hello. How are you doing, Robin? Have you had a good week? Yeah, it's been... All right, it's been good. We're very pleased to see the podcast doing well. The episode with Alice seems to have gone down very well. Yeah, absolutely thrilled. Top, yeah. top, top of most of the pop of most, which is yeah. uh, an absolute <laughs> thrill. In the might only be the music charts, but it's a start. Um, so mm. we're really thrilled with um, the, everyone listening and the lovely messages that we've got and stuff, and um, mm. lots of nice ratings. Only one bad one. Uh, I think that's pretty good going. <laughs> Oh really? Have we had a bad one? We had I one. We got. I think we got forty-four five-star reviews and one two-star review. Oh really? Um, Did they say anything? They didn't say anything. No, they just oh, clicked right. the button and scarped off into the night. Oh. But you can't please everyone all the time, no, as they you say. Can't. I hate that on YouTube videos. Whenever you upload something to YouTube, it's just the little the little thumbs down reaction. What's yeah. that for? <laughs> you know, it's just you impress yeah. thumbs down, and it's like, oh, here's something I've worked on for like a month, and that thumbs down will really really rattle around the old brain box in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah it's a real weekend ruiner <laughs> it really is um but you know we're over it i mean yeah, we're overwhelmed by all the lovely messages on um our social media and some emails and stuff and so i thought i'd um just read out uh, one email that was uh, really nice from uh, callum o'grady who um we won't go to uh, steve righty and reading out praise for ourselves slapping each other on the back so i'll miss out the bit where he talks about how brilliant the show is but not my <laughs> words the words of callum o'grady um he says i remember clearly as a kid riling through my parents record collection and finding the two classic beatles collections the red and the blue as a kid uh, who hadn't listened yet to them my interest was first pricked by looking at the same guys in the same place years apart and how they had changed physically then it was a case of putting the records on and hearing how the sound too changed over that period amazing thanks for making me think of that after all these years and then a, an, another good recommendation about uh, Louis through on Adam Buxton's podcast, which is a great um, Beatles conversation as well. Ah. So there we go, another person who the Red and the Blue albums is. Uh, yeah, is the someone point. sent me a photo of, a, of like you know the guy from Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill. Yes, yeah. Uh, sort of dangling the, the the dog. Right. Okay. Not. I thought that's not the scene. I thought you were going to mention. <laughs> no. <laughs> Super. <laughs> So it's like superimposed on the balcony of the, of the Red Album, him looking down at <laughs> the well. That's it was quite, great. That was good, yeah. Yeah, I had a nice message from Andy Zuck, uh, who, you know, a full disclosure, is a friend of mine, but he said, uh, <laughs> listening to the first episode, you've absolutely nailed the detailed sweet spot on this. I always find podcasts on subjects close to my heart. Disappointingly superficial, but loving this, I was also starting to think I was the only person on Earth who isn't that bothered for Rubber Soul, but thanks for fighting the good fight on the White Album. So... Thanks, Andy. Thank I you. mean, that's okay to read out things friends have said, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, perfect. Um, I've got a few from my mum, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it says, you say er a lot. Um, oh. 
Yeah. That, no, that was my original feedback from my dad when he listened to my first podcast I did. Um, so if you do want to get in touch, we love to hear about your uh, Beatles entry points and stuff. So um, you can email us at jack at homespun sounds or you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact. So um, you've been listening to a bit of the uh, Flaming Pie reissue this week, is that... Yeah, it's good. It's It stands up pretty well. And I think we've, we were sort of messaging about this earlier. We're getting a kind of Proustian rush of late 90s kind of, uh, you know, light lunch with Mel and Sue, TFI <laughs> Friday, Paul yeah. McCartney's Flaming Pie coming out. Um, yeah, I was doing my GCSEs when that came out. And, but that song, Young Boy, is, is really, really good. That, like, really... Yeah, is up there with uh, as what I was what a classic McCartney melody. I think it's really really good song. I think it's got some slightly dodgy lyrics in the middle eight. Um, right, really? What do you mean? Problematic? Um, no, 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 no. They're just a bit sort of lame. <laughs> oh right, it's right. Like, Fine love. It's like a proper understanding or something like that. Oh, it's I like, see. Yeah, just a bit. You know, I always like that. <laughs> do you like Van Morrison? Yeah, yeah, big yeah. Thing, yeah. I, I love how when Van, I mean when Van Morrison is on form, no one can touch him, obviously. Yeah. But lyrically, I love you can really tell it when he's just given up. Yeah, <laughs> with some of the fillers on some of the albums. Yeah. It's, uh... Well, isn't it, is it an apocryphal story where he had to bash off a load of albums because he was contractually obliged to do them? Oh yeah, then... that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, but have you heard those? Recordings? They're very, very strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to sort of bash them out around the time he did Astral Weeks, I think. Mm. Yeah, really odd. One's called Bouncing Ball or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm talking. There's an album, one of the about 1990 album called Enlightenment, which is brilliant. I love mm. that album. But there's a real filler track, and the lyrics to the middle eight just go, "We made it through the spring, made it through the summer, <laughs> made it through the fall, <laughs> and we made it through the winter." <laughs> He's just yeah, listing. That's the a seasons. bit of a back of a fag packet one. I think. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's interesting listening back to that for the first time, like because I just I hadn't listened to it for probably I don't know at least 20 years, and I just mm. suddenly had this like vision of him playing it on TFI Friday in 1997 where he's yeah. got the TV screens in the background of him sort of playing the drums and doing his little Oh yeah, ball. yeah, yeah. And I just and then I remembered the interview and I re- realized that I must have had it on VHS or something because I remembered the interview word for word. Really? <laughs> I hadn't watched it for you know. It's, in, it's an interesting decades. production on that album because it's sort of it's not You'd think they would be trying to kind of cash in and making it quite Brit poppy, but it doesn't sound anything like that. It's very Jeff Linney, yeah. Yeah, it's very Jeff Lynne, yeah. Who's actually on it, isn't he? Yeah, he does a lot of the back, backing yeah. vocals and stuff. But I think yeah. they, um, because, to get a little nerdy factoid in there, it was going to be released in, I think, 95 or something, but EMI mm. didn't want him record, um, releasing any solo material while the anthology stuff was going out. Right, okay. So they had to sit on it for a while, and I think that was why, because it, it was produced by George Martin and Jeff Lynne. Mm. So I think there is a, a theory that he went to sort of make it a little bit more um, colourful and ELO-y. Right, so yeah. make it a bit less Beatlesy. That's interesting. I also was listening to Flowers in the Dirt this week. <laughs> <laughs> because mm. we might have him on, actually, but... Um... Paul McCartney. No, yeah, no. <laughs> sorry. That's let me good news. Just... You didn't tell me. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I've got a good friend, Holly Macintosh, whose dad was Robbie Macintosh, who played guitar. He played guitar with the Pretenders, but also played with Paul oh, in that um, era. So it'd be great to have him on at some point. Uh, but yeah, very 
he's a brilliant guitarist. Kind of very mm. of its time, quite chorusy guitar, you know. But yeah. I love a bit of chorus. Uh, but yeah, but there's my fr- my friend sent me a, a video of Paul promoting that album, and there's a little clip of Holly in New York when she was five testing out the microphone and a sound check. Which oh is wow, great. that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's good if you know my friend Holly, but, you know. Yeah, I well, I mean, it's just good to have a photo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good stuff. So, um, moving on to today's episode, uh, we've got a fascinating chat with Dr. Susie Gage. Yeah, uh, this was a brilliant chat, wasn't it? So, Susie Gage is a podcaster, an epidemiologist, a psychologist, an author, She's uh, and a musician, so very multi-talented. Um, she's most well known probably for doing her podcast, um, say why to drugs with Scroobius Pip. It's, um, it's a brilliant podcast, which kind of deconstructs the myths around drugs. And each episode is about a different drug from coffee all the way up to DMT. Basically they mm. talk about a variety of drugs and the effects they have and the myths surrounding them. So it's very, very informative and interesting. And she's just published this year, a book, uh, accompanying the series called say why to drugs. Um, which is worth getting your hands on. So, But she missed kind of a lot of the publicity because of COVID and stuff. But uh, do get a copy of it. Immediately. On, immediately. <laughs> read it. Yeah. Uh, but Susie's an old friend of mine because we lived in Bristol together um, in, the, in the noughties. And, uh, yeah, so she's a very good friend and she used to play in a band called You and the Atom Bomb and we did gigs together and you know so it was kind of interesting chatting about music and music from that time as well mm. and her kind of relationship with the Beatles and other musical acts yeah there's also <laughs> some really fascinating stuff about the uh, links between drugs and creativity uh, specifically John Lennon's relationship with LSD and later heroin um, and whether or not that's a, a help or a hindrance. Yeah. <laughs> and then she talks a little bit about life in Liverpool. She's a senior lecturer at Liverpool University, so she gives us a little guide of the Beatles' tourist spots to, uh, well, the ones to see and the ones to avoid. So we really hope you enjoy this episode. As always, you can follow us on social media at Personal Beatles or go to personalbeatles.com if you um, if this is your first episode and you haven't heard the previous ones with uh, mine and Robin's personal Beatles and Ellis James's last week. So we'll be back at the end and please enjoy Dr. Susie So Susie Gage, welcome. Thanks very much. Uh, and first question, what's an epidemiologist? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think actually COVID has slightly helped with people understanding what it is because there's lots of sort of people are being accused of being armchair epidemiologists and that kind of thing but I'm a proper like office chair epidemiologist (laughs) Um, although I don't actually do anything to do with infectious diseases so the type of epidemiologist that's being talked about on the news is not really what I am but broadly it the word epidemiologist comes from epidemic and it's about looking at sort of population level data to try and understand patterns in particularly health but I'm not interested in infectious diseases. I'm interested in understanding the links between recreational drug use and mental health in particular. Cool. Can I, um, there's a brilliant, can I, I've got my London review of books here. Um, <laughs> as, <laughs> as do you always. know, uh, do you know the writer Patricia Lockwood? She wrote a brilliant book called Priest Daddy, which is about her dad, who's a Catholic priest. Oh, I've not read <laughs> anything, but I've, I've heard of her. Yeah. She's brilliant. She, she actually got covid and in this week's LRB, she wrote about the experience of it. Um, but her dad, this is brilliant. Her, I thought this you'd like this anyway. This is her dad, 
Are you questioning my knowledge of epidemiology? He shouted at my sister in the course of one conversation. She is a research pharmacist. He is a Catholic priest. <laughs> she had asked him she had asked him whether it was safe to administer communion to people on the tongue. He counted that it was that it was the only safe way. It should be stated that my father in the early days of lockdown was in his absolute glory. The only thing he's ever wanted to do in his entire life is hold a secret ma- secret mass that is also <laughs> illegal. <laughs> and for a month or two he got his chance operating through the loophole that a priest was allowed to celebrate the rite himself. And if if he left the doors open and people happened to come in and witness it, and if a crumb of the body of Christ happened to fall off his fingertips directly into their mouths at the opportune moment, he could hardly be held responsible. (laughs) So that's uh, that is amazing. But um, you must have come across kind of fairly idiotic opinions during this crisis. (laughs) (laughs) And have you been drawn into that debate on Twitter or anything? To begin with, when 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 it all first started, and and there were lots of people giving their opinion, I felt really underqualified as a sort of, everyone was going, oh, everyone thinks they're an epidemiologist. And I was like, well, I actually am an epidemiologist and I'm not qualified (laughs) to talk about this. So, you know, it's not even all, hashtag not all epidemiologists. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's, it's so easy to sort of read a few articles and think that you know what's going on, but actually it's so complicated. It's such a new, like trying to understand a new virus is incredibly hard. And even what we know about other coronaviruses is quite different. So the common cold is a coronavirus, but it's not really anything like COVID or SARS-CoV-2 mm. or whatever it's called. Um and sort of, yeah, even that, like, what's the difference between the name of the virus and the name of the disease that the virus causes and all of this kind of thing? It's it's all got yeah. very kind of confusing. And obviously, there's a lot of bad faith actors getting involved yes. in this who have Definitely. their own opinions to push for whatever reason that they do. And so actually navigating it all is really difficult. And mm. I guess, like, one of the things that I do is kind of science communication and public engagement. And this is probably the time that I should be doing more of that. But to be honest, it's just... I, the last thing I want to do is add to the noise. And so unless I've got yeah. something really useful to say, I'm probably not going to say anything. Although having yeah. said that, with a with a colleague at work, we have started a podcast called Coping with COVID, which is for medical and nursing students who have been the the group of young people well mostly young people who've been fast tracked into the NHS who are volunteering in covid wards and that kind of things while their degrees are sort of in a in a weird place they they were sort of fast tracked into the NHS to help out right. and obviously that's incredibly stressful and difficult for them so we've put together some resources about like how to manage your sleep how to manage your alcohol intake how to cope with grief and bereavement during this time when lockdown is having such an impact on those kind of things so it's like something actually useful using my own knowledge base that I can do and also I'd like I know how to edit a podcast together so that's something yeah. kind of practical and helpful that I could do and when lockdown first started I kind of sat there going oh god I just I've got no motivation. I feel really overwhelmed. So it was really nice to have something sort of that felt like I was being useful to somebody. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's great. Pretty much the same inspiration I had for this, but um, you could argue that it's slightly less useful. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you could argue that, but I'm not sure I'd want to. (laughs) So as well as being an epidemiologist, you're also a uh, very talented musician um, and a Beatles fan. So 
Um, and you're in Liverpool as well, which is another nice connection. Yes, absolutely. You can't really escape the Beatles here. And I'm sure that's something that will feature throughout this conversation of how how sort of impregnated into everything in Liverpool is, is Beatles things. I mean, I, could, I live one street away from Penny Lane. That's how, that's wow, how Beatlesy that's I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was um, up staying with you and we went to Penny Lane, uh, you know, to get the obligatory photo and everything. Oh, yeah. I was really struck by, I mean, this is a very obvious point, I suppose, but just how it's such an ordinary street, you know. it's a, It reminds me of when I was in Belfast and I went to Cypress Avenue uh, because of the Van Morrison connection and mm-hmm. you get there and it's like, oh, it's just, it's just a street, you know. But there's something, uh, I think what's great about these, these places for the Beatles or for Van Morrison is they had some connection there that's not obvious, but there's something, the, the magic of childhood is, is kind of connected with it. So when you go there, it's just a kind of street. But obviously, if you grow up there, you have this kind of spiritual connection there. Yeah, I think kind of... it's, it's Strawberry Field is kind of the same. Until very recently, it was just some red gates that sort of led to a bit of wasteland, basically. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, a few months ago, actually, the, the new sort of Strawberry Field... Um, building was opened and it's a kind of community centre. I can't remember exactly who it's for. I think sort of disadvantaged or disabled children, I think. But um, that's very recently been opened. But until then, it was just these red gates that everyone had signed. And then next to it, a big a big sign saying, do you want to buy some replica gates? Why not? Uh, this <laughs> number kind of thing. So it's really, really... Um, yeah, yeah that's... underwhelming, I think is the word. Yeah. Can I just ask, Robin, what you were expecting to in Penny Lane? Well, I don't know. Some kind of nurses selling poppies from a tray or yeah. something, you know. So I suppose just something, I, I suppose you expect to kind of be, have you ever been to Beamish? You know, the, the kind of antique village that's up north somewhere, where it's everything's, uh, like they, yeah. they tried to keep everything in the Industrial Revolution. You know, and there are people in costume or something. I suppose, I suppose you expect some kind <laughs> of grand... taxis. Yeah. <laughs> did, did we go up the other end of Penny Lane? Because the end that I live near is the kind of... It's where the sign is that everyone has signed, including Paul McCartney oh, yeah. signed. Yeah, yeah, But up yeah. the other end, there is... The barbers is still there. And right, there's a, yeah, the you... bank is there, although it's a charity shop now. And the bus shelter is there, although it's a sort of dis- disused bistro now, which is quite strange. <laughs> disused bistro. Yeah, the church yeah. where Paul's brother got married is there um, and wow. where Paul was a choir boy. Uh, mm. You might be able to tell I've done... The, there's a Beatles yeah. taxi tour. I've done it three or maybe four times. I can't That's remember great. now. But every time <laughs> nice. someone comes to visit, they want to do it and... Yeah, it's really it's really fun. Yeah, oh, that's great. Mm. I've been in uh, Reading for lockdown, which doesn't have quite as a spectacular or notorious Beatles connection. But even in Reading, I walked past this really crappy old pub in uh, Caversham, and it had a blue plaque on the wall um, saying it was uh, where the John and Paul played their only gig as the Nurk Twins in uh, 1960 and suddenly one of the uh, most nondescript pubs in the, the south side of Reading became a, the, probably the most interesting place I went in the whole of uh, that's great. so it doesn't take much magic dust to be string- yeah, sprinkled on great, a boring place there's a great um have you read White Noise by Don DeLillo do you know that book there's a I think I read it years ago but there's yeah. a great bit in that which is about the world's most photographed barn <laughs> and it's just this place that everyone goes to take a photograph of 
And it, 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 because it's the most photographed bar, so there's this self-perpetuating thing. There's nothing special about the barn, but people go there. It kind of remind. I, I'm always reminded of that when you go to one of these famous places or when you go to see, like, if you ever see the Mona Lisa or something, it's just like, why am I actually here? <laughs> I know what you know. it looks like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. The other thing I was going to say about Penny Lane is that that strange, odd, magical sense that you feel in the song that, is that is 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 great? I think Ian McDonald points out about the fact that it's summer in the song, but then the nurse is selling poppies, which would make it November and things like that. There's all yeah, and it's pouring with rain, which suggests it's like April. It could be it's yeah. a, it's an every an everyday. Yes, scene. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you're yeah. right. When you listen to those songs and kind of Strawberry Fields as well, they're proper summer. That was a summer single, a summer. Yeah, it was yeah. really evokes the kind of like summer of of love. I guess it was it was around that time wasn't it I don't know if it's yeah. exactly that year but really yeah you immediately think like hot and <laughs> it's strange that how they're very jangly summary songs. yeah but I suppose it's that kind of the childhood thing they they both of summers. those songs yeah. yeah they evoke the childhood and the, the slightly unnervingness of childhood memories as well of the kind of slight I don't know not quite you know, there's something. It's very beautiful, but there's something else under the surface. As being well. a child is a lot like being on acid. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was, um, you know, one of the things that we uh, really it would be really interesting to get your your take on is the relationship that the Beatles and especially John uh, had with drugs throughout their you know most creative years. Um, mm. And you know we had we mentioned in previous podcasts about the, you know their relationship with marijuana, which very much informed the revol the rubber soul and revolver, and then revolver they start getting it more into acid, and then you know it's absolutely soaks Sergeant Pepper, which is their most sort of creative and you know some would argue seminal record, um, and it's kind of that relationship with cre- creativity and very very strong mind altering drugs. <laughs> Um, was is probably now something that you know you wouldn't get much of a pass for, but in the sixties it seemed that it was almost sort of um, commendable. With fifty years of knowledge now, how what would you say about the relationship between creativity and mind expanding drugs? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, and I, I've got to be honest, I don't actually know that much about the Beatles and their drug taking sort of to talk about them specifically. I think that someone's written a book about it, which is apparently amazing, but I haven't read it. So that's no (laughs) use to us in this conversation. But um, in general, this kind of idea of creativity and drugs kind of going hand in hand, I think is quite overstated. And the thing that's really difficult to get get at is the causality. So are people creative because they take drugs or... Are creative people more likely to explore mind-altering substances because of who they are? So actually, the substance itself kind of doesn't really matter. It's um, it's the the person was always that creative, and that that's because of that. That's what's drawn them to use substances and to explore sort of their their inner mind, I suppose. Yeah. Um. And and the substance itself does that particularly matter? I don't know. I think. Maybe back in the 60s when there was this kind of this whole movement around sort of Timothy Leary and turn on, tune in, drop out. Um, it was kind of a a sort of pushback against 
what was politically, particularly in the US, what was going on and um, and a kind of a counterculture, a young young people rebelling against their parents and all of this kind of thing all combined together. So whether you actually had to take acid to experience the mind expansion that was going on in the movement as a whole, I'm not I'm not so sure you did. But I think that because the acid was kind of there and around mm. that people often did. But when people have researched sort of the links between creativity and drug use, it, drugs don't particularly make you creative while you're high. It's really, really hard to actually do things like write songs or that kind of thing. Or certainly ones that when you listen back to them when you're sober actually sound any good rather than just sort of incredibly long and don't really go anywhere. Kind of <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my experience as a, as a young person with musicians and you know, dabbling in the odd jazz cigarette. Um, is that always at the time I thought, wow, this is incredible. This is yeah. incredible. I've got to record this. This sounds bloody fantastic. And then I'd listen back to it and it'd be an absolute toss. <laughs> so I think it helps if you're John Lennon is probably the key. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a great um, Thomas De Quincey who wrote the book Confessions of an English Opium Eater uh, um, in the uh, 19th century. Um, in both centuries, he wrote the in book. In the past. No, in the past. <laughs> in your, in your um, he said uh, he said something like, "If you work with bulls, you dream of bulls, or something like that," which is a bit unfair to people who work with bulls. But <laughs> he was he was, I think he was saying that you have to be inclined to be creative, to experience the the visionary, for want of a better word, element of of drug taking. I think that's possibly true of, with the Beatles, isn't it? As you were saying, Jack, that you kind of it helped that he was John Lennon. Um, mm. But the thing I don't understand is, uh, you know. With 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 the their drug intake in the sixties was that I think John Lennon was taking acid every day, which does not seem like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so no, well, also it has a kind of tolerance where if you do take it immediately after you've just taken it, you won't experience any effect of it. Mm. The tolerance doesn't last for very long, yeah. but if you take it sort of. T- immediately after you've just taken it you won't experience anything so maybe that's how he could get away with it because he was taking it but it wasn't actually it was only having an effect every few days because of this tolerance yeah (laughs) and there's certainly as you said the sense that in terms of the recorded music in the studio i think there's only one time when they were recording one of the songs on sergeant pepper maybe getting better where John Lennon had to go up on the roof of Abbey Road to chill out. Yeah, uh, he thought the but, roof was on fire or something, wasn't it? Yeah, but there's no sense that they're on drugs as they're playing the songs. Or, you know, because the song, yeah, as you say, otherwise the songs would kind of be awful. quite... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or badly played. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess there's so much myth- mythologizing around drug use and music in particular as well that actually probably what actually happened we're very unlikely to get the sort of true true story of like really how much were they taking and how often and all and were they like real high in the studio mm. like it's very hard to sort of separate out the kind of myth from the truth yeah yeah, yeah i think that there's probably i mean in certainly on revolver there's uh, tomorrow never knows in particular there's a 
very strong influence of the Timothy Leary and the Tibetan Book of the Dead stuff. And mm-hmm. but yeah, you can't imagine that that ever like crept its way into making that record because it just sounds it's like the most meticulously played exactly. and produced record ever. Yeah. ever and made. also, Tomorrow Never Knows is like two minutes long, so it's like if that was a proper drug song, then it would be fifteen minutes long. You know, <laughs> yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But then I suppose you do get all of the. Yeah, talking about his experiences with heroin as well later when he, I think it, most people around him said that he managed to get away from acid and got, dis, I think he got disillusioned with the whole sort of Timothy Leary thing and then sort of became more interested in heroin later on with his like Yoko Ono years where it, that definitely had a detrimental effect on his sort of work ethic and stuff, but produced a record of, um, you know, his first, especially his first solo album and some of the stuff on the White Album. Um, where thematically it's about his sort of relationship with heroin and that is when he was beginning to write much more sort of personally and viscerally so that's another that's a different argument isn't it it's like oh that experience was was so intense that it pushed him into writing some of his most sort of personal work yeah but then I guess also lots of things had changed in his life as well he was kind of more disillusioned with the Beatles as a whole and when he met Yoko obviously his life circumstances completely changed as well so it's it like other things were also happening in his life as well as changing his kind of drug of choice but yeah in terms of if you're going to regularly take an opioid that's kind of a, a real sort of depressant um pain killer type of drug then it's very hard to kind of to do things while you're intoxicated on it even more so than than acid probably Mm. so do you have a favorite Beatles period I don't know I think I don't tend to I like I don't I'm not sort of meticulous in my knowledge of the Beatles and I tend to just when I the first I I think I remember the Beatles before I know what about memory if you know what I mean they were always in my life like that's great that's we had a guest on uh, uh, Christian Madden who said the same thing he can't couldn't really remember I can't remember um, a time when I didn't listen to the Beatles. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the, it's, it really makes me think of childhood car journeys and, and that was always, like, the best of the Beatles kind of yeah. kind of albums being on. So you'd you'd hear the whole kind of gamut of across the years and I, I didn't really think about separating out, um, like, oh, the, this belongs to this period and this belongs to that period and so certainly as, as a child it was very much just like oh I like I like the songs <laughs> I like singing along to the songs I like the ones with the good harmonies mm. um I think as I grew older I started to um know a bit more about about like get beyond get into some deeper cuts I suppose yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was still not particularly like when I joined I joined a band when I was sort of 16 17 and we started off as a covers band and we played quite a few Beatles songs and some of them I didn't know. Like we played I Want You, She's So Heavy, which oh, I'd wow. never heard before. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the same band <laughs> as the band that did Penny Lane and the band that did I Want to Hold Your Hand. What? <laughs> and, and Wait, sort of, you, you were a covers band. I thought you because so is this the the formative years of you and the atom bomb yeah we were called well to begin with we were called the shades when we first when we first started and that's when we did things like play the holmer green village fate uh where we were interrupted to announce that everything on the bric-a-brac stool was now 50 pence back to the music (laughs) kind of thing fair fair the fire's on fire (laughs) 
Um, uh, yeah, sorry. And and our first ever gig, which was uh, supporting Lindisfarne, which wow. is quite quite a coup, really. But mm-hmm. we were we were completely. I think we had one original song at that point. Uh, which sounded exactly like the Strokes, so <laughs> you probably couldn't have told it was an original song. Uh, um, did you um, did you do weddings and things like that as a covers band, or was it just more? So they just they had done weddings before I joined, so they were already going with a different singer, um, and they they did a wedding, and it went so badly that I think they just not because of them, but because they brought two friends with them for some reason, and the friends oh, God. got incredibly drunk and uh, I'm not sure I should be telling this story on a podcast but, <laughs> but um and one of them started sort of dancing with the bride when they really probably shouldn't have been <laughs> this yeah. kind of thing um and so I think we sort of thought maybe that's not that's not the way for us to go right I was gonna so, say doing I want you she's so heavy at a wedding at a wedding be would a bit... be I think they did and there were definitely great. some quite inappropriate songs. I think they did might have done Suspicious Minds, which maybe it's wow. not that inappropriate yeah. for a wedding. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Brian, our guitarist, <laughs> used to sing Suspicious Minds and Love Me Tender in a proper kind of like uh, we 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 did this um, record with. Um, it's record. We did a demo with someone who had a uh, recording studio in their shed in their back garden in High Wycombe, and he, this guy was always talking about how raunchy Brian's voice sounded. This being a seventeen-year-old <laughs> boy, <laughs> like with a very raunchy it's voice. Quite odd, yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. I just remembered I was going to say this in the Christian um, Christian Madden episode, but talking, he, he told a story about how he got his dad Sergeant Pepper for Christmas. And I remembered talking about wildly inappropriate music that I got. I once got. I knew my mum was into soul music, so I got my mum a Marvin Gaye album, and it was "Let's Get It On." <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. So yeah, you started. It, you joined this uh, band, um, and then. Did you all go to the same uni together, or did you kind of know? No, no, we all went off to different unis, but that meant we had four gigs a term because we'd do one in London, one in Exeter, one in Bristol and one in Southampton, sort of every term. So that would be the way we kind of met up. And then every summer, instead of going going away anywhere, we'd spend the time like writing and gigging. And once we went, all of us up to Scotland, um, we stayed with Brian's family who live up there and did a little tour of like Inverness and (laughs) (laughs) and a few other places up around there we went and camped on the beach in Ullapool and that kind of thing it was really really lovely trip I felt so sorry we stayed with Brian's aunt and uncle and just like made an absolute racket the whole time (laughs) (laughs) they must have been delighted when we rocked up (laughs) fond mems and so when I met you you were all back in Bristol and you were playing as you and the atom bomb yeah yeah so when Brian um, was our guitarist and he was studying medicine in Bristol so when the rest of us finished our degrees because he was still going we all moved to Bristol we're kind of right. that's just what happened cool. <laughs> and it was great I mean I didn't really know anything about Bristol but it was a brilliant place to move to when you're 20 21 22 yeah and so um, when I met you it was around 2005 6 yeah I, mo- I moved and... in 2005 yeah right and yeah, I just, I just remember being blown away by seeing you guys play because it was really precise and it was really silly and it was brilliant, <laughs> brilliant pop music. 
but quite proggy and technical too. And we should just say to listeners that, um, sadly, that you and the atom bomb stuff is not online, which is... <laughs> it's not online, which is annoying, but I do have... Uh several hundred copies of both of our EPs. If anyone, Great. if anyone is interested in hearing, please do get in touch. I will post you them out because oh, they are taking up a substantial amount of cupboard space. <laughs> yeah, well, we should definitely get a campaign to get them back online. But there's def- I could def- there is a, a Beatles-y influence in your stuff. Do you think that was a big part of your musical kind of yeah. world back then? Yeah, definitely. We were all really into it. And when we were when we were doing covers, there were a lot of Beatles covers in our set from mm. the sort of like twist and shout kind of thing through to the harmonies of um, I want to hold your hand and then things like dig a pony we used to do oh, and nice. uh, and yeah I want you she's so heavy so it was a pretty pretty broad broad beetle spectrum <laughs> yeah. in our yeah. set yeah. as well. basically done the whole catalogue there in like four songs yeah beginning to end but I remember yeah we used to listen a lot to what album is Dig a Pony on? Is that Some on Let, Let It Be? be. Let yeah. be. Yeah. yeah so I'd never I'd never really listened to Beatles albums at that point it had been sort of compilations and so we used to listen to let it be quite a lot when we were because we all like there was a lot of driving involved in that band because we all lived all over the place even before we went to uni we lived quite far apart so there was lots of driving to and from band practices and and Mm. things like that and also when you're that age I just think you're constantly listening to music anyway aren't you yeah yeah. And, and let it be is one that I think Brian lent me and I was just like, oh, this is great. This is the kind of a bit of Beatles that I had. Those, those songs don't appear so much on compilations, I don't think. Yeah, they definitely yeah. felt quite new to me anyway. And I mean, I don't particularly know Let It Be that well. It's one of the blind spots I have. So there's a lot of undiscovered stuff out there for Yeah, I think for, because for Paul too. hated it so much, it never got featured on much um, yeah. Apple-endorsed best-of stuff, apart from the single um, mm. But yeah, famously, Phil Spector's production stuff was the last straw in many ways. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a great record, actually. I really like it. Um, and uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see whether because they've been remastering all of the last few albums for the 50th anniversaries. And this is the year of um, that Let It Be was released. But I, th- I think they'll probably give it a miss because George Martin <laughs> wasn't involved in it. Which right, is a bit of a yeah. shame. But the film's coming out this year. Right? It's been pushed back a year, actually. Oh, okay. So um, yeah. Peter Jackson is remaking the very famous film with the, mm. you know, um, where they the aborted project of making a film that became, you know, just as succession doing it in the Peter Jackson kind of way, where the, there's three hours just on the first verse of Let It Be, and then yeah, I think Andy Circus is playing a CGI Ringo. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, yeah. it's, it's clocks in at seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> the Beatles films is something that I hadn't really seen until more recently. But um, when I started going out with Doug, um, I kind of I always really really liked the Beatles, but somehow I ended up with a best friend and a nearly husband who were like two of the the world's biggest Beatles fans and in particular yeah. Paul McCartney fans mm. um and so so can we just explain who who Doug is for the for the yes yeah, so so again? Doug Doug's my fiance weird word um <laughs> but um he's a folk musician who plays under the name Jim Murray and we met in Bristol probably around the same time I met you actually Robin and mm. um we're, all of us were on this music forum with lots of other people and that's kind of how when I first moved to Bristol how I got to know people and yeah and 
we've been together for what seven or eight years now um but yeah well, like not long after we started going out i think it was when one of the films had been remastered and it was showing at the watershed what's the one with um the guy from steptoe and son in it oh, as hard paul's granddad yeah, yeah so hard day's amazing. night had just he's been very clean yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that so we went see, for doug's birthday we went to see that at the watershed and um and i was like oh these films are really good and i they just completely passed me by so since then we've watched them all and i'm completely obsessed with the ruttles as well which i don't oh, know whether yeah. you're yeah. sort of allowed to talk about the ruttles, oh, the ruttles. On the podcast about the yeah. beatles we haven't talked about the ruttles on this podcast yet i don't think but yeah. i'm obsessed or, or i was as uh at the age of about 12 or 13, obsessed well, with the Well, I, I love the Ruttles, but I'm also a huge fan of Bonzo Dog, like that's, was is which is also Neil Innes. Yeah, Neil yeah. Innes is an absolute songwriting genius. Yeah. And the fact uh, that he could write Lennon and McCartney songs that didn't yet exist. That yeah. I like, this is a bit podcast inception, but there's an amazing episode of the Rule of Three podcast about the, the Ruttles and oh, yeah. what they what they point out that I sort of hadn't thought about but they're spot on is that none of them sound like one particular Beatles song they yeah. all sound like lots of like 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 another song that would have been on that album or you know yeah like, definitely they, yeah they're like, so well observed they yes. kind of so. allude to different songs and things yeah, yeah. Not, I mean cheese and onions obviously yeah, I mean, oh, so they definitely have core core elements that are like yeah. a particular song, but they they're not. And apparently, that's how Neil Innes did it by not not going back and listening to too much yeah. Beatles before he wrote them, and so that mm. they weren't direct sort of rip offs. They were far yeah. more, and they're so, and it's so loving as well. It's obvious yeah. that they're massive. I mean, the fact that George Harrison is in it and funded a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. I mean, one of my favorite memories of. Uh, of my dad was he played me gorilla by bonzo dog doodah band um i think he played it for me and my brother and we were just it was just one of those moments where i just couldn't breathe because i was laughing so much (laughs) you know uh, the jazz disgusting hot delicious cold song and things like that uh but there's a song on there called the equestrian statue do you know that song by uh, neil innes and it is just basically just it's it could be on village green preservation society it's like that good a song and it's mm. just it's really funny as well a lot of this, that stuff is up there because they i mean they were around towards the very end of the beatles weren't they don bonzo dog Dido band and with paul at that point especially was getting into his sort of pastiche stuff um much to the annoyance of the rest of the band i think but like yeah. they definitely there is ones that could sound like they're sort of Paul McCartney's, yeah. especially like in stuff off Ram and things. But those those Ruttles records are just so well recreated. The the, the effort that has gone into them when you watch yeah. them back now, especially. I mean, I've been quite saturated yeah. in Beatles and stuff. And we were talking to Guy Chambers the other day about um, their production techniques, and you can tell that <laughs> oh, actually, that's sort of they've used very speed to just notch that up a tiny bit on cheese and onions to give it that sort of slightly jangly sound and it's like they've you know it must have cost them an amazing amount of money to make that film i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When we first met in, in Bristol, that was a very, it was a really interesting time uh, in Bristol. There was lots of really good music going on. And I was going to talk a bit about Gravenhurst a bit because I used to play in the band Gravenhurst and and what you mentioned about we you know we we used to listen to a lot of music on on tour and things like that and I was kind of struggling to Nick's Talbot um his mum I remember is a is a huge Beatles fan and named uh Paul his brother after Paul McCartney <laughs> but I was trying to think of some things about Nick and the Beatles. And I remember one of the things was we were listening to Revolver on the tour bus and he thought it was really kind of funny stroke silly that they kind of double tracked everything. And it made sense because his, lots of Nick's recordings were very sparse, you know? Yeah. But, so um, I kind of, could, have you got any, does anything spring to your mind about Nick and the, and the Beatles? <laughs> was that a kind of very broad question? Not, not really. Like... <laughs> I always thought he was a little bit scathing about them. I think probably because he, even more than me, like had a childhood that was entirely saturated with the yeah, Beatles. Yeah, totally. And I think, do you, do you know Gravenhurst's music, Jack? No, I don't. I don't think so. Nick was a really good friend of ours, um, and he was in a great band. We were in a, I was in a band with him called Gravenhurst, which was a kind of folk-inspired band that became more kind of shoegazy and indie. Uh, and Nick sadly died in two thousand fourteen, which is very sad and very tragic and we're kind of yeah I suppose since then I've, there's been a lot of time for thinking about Nick and what he would have thought of the strange times we're in now but I, I mean he's obviously and he's also been such a huge influence on the way I think about music and things so when we started this podcast I was kind of thinking about what Nick would what Nick would yeah. have to say about the Beatles. he'd have been a great guest for sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're quite right there there is that kind of thing where a lot of Gravenhurst music is, it's quite dark. And I think he, yeah, he, there's a sort of thing where I think he wanted to, he, the Beatles were maybe too cosy for him or something like that. Yeah, although having said that, like he, I would say was maybe not directly influenced, but certainly used to listen to a lot of people like Elliot Smith, who mm. themselves were massively influenced by the Beatles. Yeah, that's a very So good I think point. it's that you're always only two steps away from the Beatles with yeah, whatever yeah. you're listening to. Exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. But like Elliot Smith is someone I've been thinking about a lot recently in terms of like how, how influenced by the Beatles a lot of his music is and yeah. how amazing it is because of that mm. and like his incredible cover of because mm, yeah. that's really sort of faithful that was you was it used in american beauty mm. I yeah think. yeah yeah and um and yeah just like I, I think um doug made a playlist the other day that was all songs that 
were quite clearly influenced by the Beatles. And it was really, mm. really fun putting it together and th- trying to think of like all sorts of different eras of the Beatles yeah, and, definitely. and music that's been related to that. But um, we were also talking about, I don't know whether you know, the Left Bank, yes, who were yeah, this yeah. amazing 60s band, well, 60s, 70s band. But um, their sort of hits don't necessarily sound that much like the Beatles, but there's on their on their kind of best of album as you get further away from sort of pretty ballerina and um walk away renee you mm. get loads that are that are really beatlesy and some of them are really ringo-y as well <laughs> they've got some real like they've, they've got some real some real real ringo songs that are uh, kind the of ri- hilarious. the rich seam of don't pass me by <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's, I mean, I love the Pretty Ballerina, and it sounds so. It sounds like an Elliot Smith song from the sixties, yeah. doesn't it? But um, yeah, I think the great thing about Elliot Smith, and the thing that Nick liked a lot as well, was that kind of. I think just the kind of the, the, that the idea of the craft of songwriting. I think, which is what Elliot Smith is, is really good at, the kind of intricacy of the arrangements and yeah, uh, and and making something in sparse and intricate at the same time yeah, which is definitely quite quite a skill yeah um and neil finn as well crowded house i think is very beatlesy yeah that's true yeah i so i didn't know very much crowded house until recently but um we yeah. went to see neil finn um in edinburgh at the beginning of last year and it was kind of the neil finn family band so his oh, wife yeah. and his children are in the band and yeah it, it was such a fun evening yeah, yeah. The, there's a there's an album neil finn did with his son liam finn yeah uh came out a couple of years ago that's absolutely brilliant i love it <laughs> and it's yeah very it was a, it was a really really great show yeah do you have a controversial beatles opinion so is there a kind of a, a famous song that you really hate or a, an album Ooh. that you think is overrated I'm not sure this is a particularly controversial Beatles opinion, but uh, Matthew Street in Liverpool, where the cavern was, is one of the most awful roads <laughs> in the whole country, and I, right. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good one. But um, but I actually think probably quite a lot of Beatles fans would probably agree with me. Right. Like, when yeah. we, we came to Liverpool um, to look for somewhere to live, like I got offered the job here, in sort of March, but I wasn't starting it until January. So we had quite a while of sort of knowing we were moving up here from Bristol um, to, to plan. So we ca- we came up for a weekend and like did a load of sort of house hunting and exploring areas of Liverpool where we might want to live and that kind of thing. And and um, we stayed in town and we um, we were like, oh yeah, we we'll have to go and go and see Matthew Street because I think Doug had been when he was a tiny child, but I'd never been. And um and it's just hideous. It's <laughs> right. like sort of stag and hen party oh, central. Right. It's all kind of awful bars that are like blaring, admittedly the Beatles, mm. but still yeah. like like uh, flyers of sort of women women getting free kind of thing to right. all these bars and um and the cavern isn't even in the same place yeah, as the, 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 the actual the cavern was. They've kind yeah. of yeah built a sort of. Um, replica of it which is fine like it's yeah. it's like like the cavern was but um the street is horrible and it's a shame because the street's got loads of other interesting things about it as well it's sort mm. of it's quite linked into the klf uh, yeah. as well and all these sort of talk of ley lines and and wow. carl jung saying that liverpool is the pool of life and <laughs> yeah all of this kind of stuff 
it's it's really interesting, but it but it's a really horrible place. <laughs> yeah. What's the venue on the same street that kind of Echo and the Bonnie Men and all that used to play? Oh, Eric's was uh, it? Right. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. And that's not there anymore. Right? No. No, yeah. no. And even if it was, you wouldn't want to go to it. <laughs> Would the equivalent of Bristol be like the harbour side? I'm guessing. That kind yeah, of area, yeah. Yeah. Completely. It's just the sort of uh, touristy, towny, yeah. go and get absolutely mm. leathered place. Sounds good. Which doesn't have anywhere nice to eat or drink. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, everyone goes there. So uh, as an adoptive Liverpudlian, what would you say is the best uh, Beatles landmark to see? Oh, um, well, you go like Eleanor Rigby's grave. That's pretty good, which is opposite the hall where John and Paul first met. Right. Um, so that there's kind of when you do the tour, there's sort of everything is kind of things are much closer together than you might realise. And like the, like the fact that those two sites mm. are opposite each other, sort of Eleanor Rigby yeah. being towards the much later Beatles, but is opposite the site where they literally first first met when they yeah. were teenagers. And actually we um we did the last time I did the Beatles taxi tour was was um in July when like July last year and it happened to be the day that they met. Uh, which we hadn't realised when we did it. And then when we went into the hall, there was like a big, there was sort of a cake sale and, and weird stuff going on in the hall because it was the day that they met. <laughs> but it was really, like, it's a amazingly low key. You'd think there'd be a sort of multi-million pound industry around the Beatles. Yeah. And there are things like there's the Magical Mystery Tour bus, which you can go on, which is really good, and these taxi tours and things. But the things themselves, like Penny Lane, as you say, is sort of, it's just a road. And, yeah. um this hall is just a hall and I sound a bit like Scroobius Pip now, but um, <laughs> like all of these um, things, they're just, they're just a band. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the Beatles are just a band. Have you ever seen the TripAdvisor page for the Zebra Crossing on uh, Abbey Road? Because it's just <laughs> yeah. loads of people going, this, it's just a Zebra Crossing. I was, you know, getting, giving it one star. And like, <laughs> what, yeah. what were you expecting? <laughs> yeah. That the Beatles yeah. walk across it every half hour <laughs> on the hour. <laughs> and yeah. like the Cabin Club, it's not even the same zebra crossing yeah, oh, isn't yeah. It? no it's uh, um, about 10 meters down the road <laughs> having said that like all these things are quite low-key like i have seen paul mccartney oh what just wandering around <laughs> well not quite just wandering around but the um when when he did the um carpool karaoke thing with um this wasn't actually the time i saw him but when he did that he must have driven past our house because you can see in the in the film and there were like I'm in a I'm in a Facebook local group called Penny Lane Gossip, and there were sort of pictures of him appearing, um, sort of on the docks first of all, but then um, leaning against the bus shelter at the top of Penny Lane. And I had literally just been out for a run, and I was like, I wow. must have just run past Paul McCartney. I mean, and James <laughs> Gordon, but you know, whatever. But um, yeah. <laughs> but it then a, a couple of weeks after that, um, so he's the patron i think of lipper which is the yeah, yeah. liverpool institute of performing arts and so he does their graduation and i hadn't really realized it was the same day but i'd, I'd been at work and i was quite tired so instead of walking home i decided to get the bus and i left work a bit early and i went and stood at the bus stop and i looked and the bus stop is outside the liverpool philharmonic and there were some not very many but some of those silver crowd control railings up around the back of the fill um and I, I said to someone at the bus stop, oh, do you know what that's about? And they're like, oh, yeah, the Lipper graduation is in there and Paul McCartney's in there. So I was like, 
shall I get the bus or shall I just shall I just wait and see <laughs> see Paul McCartney? So I was like, well, I don't need to get home for anything. I've left work early. So I crossed the road and sort of stood with maybe like 25 other people, not very many, and like and that. And then about 10 minutes after that, he came out and genuinely it was incredible. And like I was not I was not expecting to feel overwhelmed by seeing Paul McCartney but it really genuinely was like wow that mm. is that is Paul McCartney yeah, and like amazing. I properly I was trying to take a picture and my hands were shaking and it was like <laughs> I did not expect myself to have that reaction but it really was it really was incredible to see to see him sort of yeah. uh, the other side of a of a little alleyway basically yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he brilliant. was he was amazing he came out he sort of mimed playing the guitar and, <laughs> like genuinely did all the cliche things yeah. that you expect Paul thumbs McCartney up. to do like yeah. yeah awkward dad kind of wacky macka thumbs aloft yeah. properly yeah. lived up to that and in my pictures he looks like an old woman because that's what Paul McCartney <laughs> looks like now and, <laughs> but yeah it was that's that's the kind of thing that happens in Liverpool yeah is, that's great yeah, th- things like that genuinely do happen. Yeah, because I once went on a stag do to Rockfield Studios where Queen <laughs> recorded Bohemian Rhapsody and loads mm-hmm. of bands played there. And, and the guy doing the tour was just so funny because he was trying to kind of manufacture these connections. So it's like, Coldplay came here, right? And I'm not saying anything, right? But what colour is that wall? It's like, yellow. Yeah, you see? Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and things like that. And it was brilliant. Yeah. I imagine there's uh, a lot of that around in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the bench where he might have actually sat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the Beatles taxi tour is very much like that. And actually, I don't know whether you know, but right. there's been an awful lot of controversy over the past month or so about Penny Lane and its name mm. because James Penny was a slave trader. Really? And really? And in the in the Liverpool Museum of Slavery, Penny Lane is one of the streets that is listed as being named after a slave trader. Um, and when you go on the taxi tour, they tell you this and that kind of thing and say that actually a few years ago, Liverpool had a big um, campaign to rename all of the streets that were named after slave traders. And it actually got really, really far through until someone realised that that would mean they'd have to rename Penny Lane. Um, and someone graffitied... Right. Mm. Uh, graffitied all the Penny Lane signs a few last month, I guess, after all the Black Lives Matters mm. campaigns and the pulling down of the Colston statue in Bristol and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But since then, there's been a lot of effort to find out whether that's actually the case or not. And consensus mm. is quite split and there's a lot of people who think actually it was called penny lane because it cost a penny to it like it was a toll road or something like that. Right. So so the James Penny didn't live anywhere near Penny Lane. Whereas when I went yeah. on the Beatles taxi tour, I'm sure that I was told did, at least did one Did a Beatles time, fan discover that, that, that fact about the penny? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's actually, it's a toll road. It's a toll road. Yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, to be, to be honest, that was my kind of initial. I was really sceptical. Like, oh, of course, someone, like, you can prove anything with facts, you know. Um, of yeah. course, it's someone's, <laughs> uh, someone's found some way of saying it wasn't that. But actually, the evidence isn't very strong and when when the slavery museum were asked sort of well why do you have a penny lane sign in and they were like well we don't actually have any direct evidence to suggest that 
the road yeah. was definitely named after James Penny. So mm. it's well, it's complicated, but that's yeah, that's been a well, lot of the conversation in the those... Penny Lane Gossip Facebook group. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could tear down the signs now and then have a competition to have a public vote of your favourite Beatles song to rename the road after. Yeah. And Maxwell's then Silver people Hammer could Road. Just get Penny Lane to go to the top. <laughs> yeah, but that's what's interesting about because the whole counter argument is oh, you know, it's revising history. But the whole point of and what's good about all this is you're actually engaging with history and exactly. looking at these yeah, reasons and learning and, things and finding these things out. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, are you saying they should rip down the signs for Penny Lane? There was a huge problem of people stealing the road signs. So they've had to make them the sort of quite ugly plastic ones now because when they had the nice um, metal, like wrought wrought iron ones that were painted white, people would just steal them constantly. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I would probably be one of those people, to be fair. (laughs) When Paul McCartney signed, so the, the one that everyone signs is actually painted on a wall and that's the one Paul McCartney signed. But after he signed it, people started trying to chip the paintwork off. So they've, they've had to cover it in a perspex protective yeah. thing because, because yeah, people want, want a bit of the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Eleanor Rigby thing. I always thought Eleanor Rigby was they got the name out of the phone book, but then coincidentally there was an Eleanor Rigby in the graveyard. Is that complete Well, so rubbish? this is what they tell you in great detail (laughs) (laughs) is how um yeah paul was supposedly sitting in a car park in bristol and he saw um i can't remember what it was that he yeah the butcher yeah and there was was reading a paper and there was eleanor someone in the paper yeah um and and the taxi tour driver's kind of take on it is that was paul trying to protect the churchyard from right from and um, protect the gravestone from awful people who would steal it kind of thing basically people who want a bit of the Beatles mm. because the the thing about Eleanor Rigby's grave um is that she was married but her gravestone is in her maiden name and so was buried along with her name um uh, uh, right. <laughs> yeah so there's there's sort of a few things about it that that help the tale to be told that yeah, suggests yeah. that and it is a bit of a coincidence that it's literally opposite the place <laughs> yeah, they met yeah. kind of yeah. thing yeah however yeah that's not what paul says and given paul wrote the song who are you going to yeah. believe <laughs> a slightly racist taxi driver or, yeah. you know? <laughs> it was originally going to be a father mccartney as well wasn't it it was going to be his own name but he changed it to father mckenzie i think that might have been something he got from a phone book mckenzie and apparently Ringo yeah. came up with uh, darning his socks in the night. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the yeah, it's such a difference in the songwriting. Like Paul McCartney will just beg, steal, and any, borrow any words to fit his lovely mm. melodies and stuff. Yeah. Whereas you know John's is all works as kind of prose, doesn't it? When mm. you see them, there's some in the British Library where there's quite a lot of Beatles uh, lyrics yeah. in there, and. Some of it, I mean, and including Penny Lane is just like psychedelia was like um, a good excuse to fall back on when you could just allowed you to write nonsensical lyrics. (laughs) Yeah, but that's, I mean, I think there's, I mean, Eleanor Rigby's got that great line about keeping her face that she keeps in the jar by the door. It's like, that's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, that's very poetic, isn't it? Yeah, mm. I, I mean, and some of John's lyrics are incredibly questionable in terms of sort of misogyny and... Yeah that sort of thing it's like i um the other day someone was talking about um 
what was the worst Beatles song? And yeah. I think they'd said, oh, bloody, oh, blada. And I said, um, I think it might be Run For Your Life, actually. Run, yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about that in the first podcast, but I, I've sort of read around it afterwards. I'm not, and this isn't defending it, but John Lennon, it was like meant to be deliberately or deliberately playing I mean, that role which is not a defense so yeah, yeah. and i think but then uh, then he also wrote jealous guy which is a little bit sort of holding up his hands to what then came out about his past and so yeah. it's mm. not really a good enough excuse actually no, and sorry also, i was get, jealous yeah, yeah and getting better as i used to be mean with my yeah 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 what's the line in that i can't remember i used to be mean to my woman i beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved yeah, yeah, that's not great, nice is it? John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But he had a very that's... funny way of like re-evaluating his like, nastier, more acerbic limit lyrics sort of later on by saying mm. his excuse was always, oh, but, but it's about me, you know, I'm attacking me or whatever, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, he was, he was, he'd say, oh, I'm, I was writing about the worst aspects of myself. I didn't actually mean it type thing. And then, yeah, it's quite amazing that someone who wrote run for your life can write like a uh, woman is the n-word of the world about six years later or whatever mm. but yeah. he did tend to change his mind quite, quite yeah. a lot i more. mean it's important to learn and develop as a person yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so one of the other stock questions that we have is um considering the beatles were so good and the story surrounding them is so amazing and the narrative is full of so many serendipitous moments. Do you think that maybe there's a possibility they might not have existed at all? <laughs> are they are they evidence for the existence of God? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> or maybe an exercise in soft power by some, you know, Cold War government or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but then who did write... Someone wrote those songs... It's true. So, 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 a genius in some way existed. Whether it was Lennon and McCartney, or it was some sort of shady, shady yeah. cabal, or I don't quite know what. Um, the, the original Paul McCartney that they had to, yeah. yeah, and replace with a robot or a clone, or I never quite worked out who who he was meant to have been replaced by in that conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah, no, I don't think it holds yeah. much. Water. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great, isn't it? Because that just go talk about that conspiracy theory, whereas you think in the age we're in now, those kind of conspiracy theories, I mean, it's an obvious point to make, but they've got much worse, haven't they? You know, you look back at the 60s and you think, oh, it was a crazy time. People thought Paul McCartney was dead. And you look at our age and it's like, oh, yeah, we're a 100 times worse now. <laughs> we think Avril Lavigne is dead and was replaced by someone. Paul, Avril, I mean, they're just yeah. sort of the voice of their own generation, aren't yeah. they? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But people do, I mean, you only have to go on YouTube to see that there are people who still emphatically believe that paul was replaced really but then you don't really go to youtube comment sections to get your <laughs> daily no. news you're in trouble if you do is that something you've had to deal with in your work this the current conspiracy theory well, conspiracy theory and you know f well f fake news for want of a better phrase yeah around drugs there are so many that's kind of why i set up the say why to drugs podcast in the first place was because of the sheer volume of sort of myths and misconceptions that exist around recreational drugs and like I'm including alcohol and tobacco when I talk about 
recreational drugs. Um, and actually, some of the most interesting myths and misconceptions exist around the legal the legal drugs that we sort of convince ourselves that, oh, no, I'm sure I saw somewhere that a glass of red wine is good for us and, mm. and that kind of thing. And, and around smoking and, and e-cigarettes has been a new one where there's a huge amount of sort of disagreement and, and bad faith conversations yeah. and that kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah, um, I've got um, a friend, um, the TV presenter and actor Dallas Campbell, and he is really, really interested in conspiracy theories. And his partner is a climate scientist. So when her and I first met, we had conversations about the sort of climate science denial and the tobacco industry and weirdly how those two things are far more related than you'd think. There's this amazing film called Merchants of Doubt, which shows that not only are the same kind of arguments being used by the tobacco industry that then started to be used in climate science denial of like finding a sort of tame scientist to to disagree so that you could mm. say, look, the scientists don't all agree the same thing. You know, there is division here. But then when you look more closely, it's, it's literally the same, the same individuals and the same organisations who are kind really? of funding these same things it's a really it's a book and a film merchants of doubt and it's really really interesting yeah wow and how's that and what about the conspiracies around covid have you sort of encountered those and oh i did i heard someone in the park opposite very loudly telling her friends that it was all a hoax um and that the that no one's actually died of covid it's all been misreporting in the nhs but it really made me laugh because she was standing two meters away from her friend to say all these things like well if you don't believe it then what you don't need to do that (laughs) but yeah some some stuff is really terrifying like this idea that um bill gates wants to vaccinate us all so that um i don't quite know why is it to put microchips in us or something like that or to give us all all autism (laughs) i mean all of it is just terrifying the sort of the things that are being that are being sort of speculated and how you think they're just sort of cranks and then you hear someone in the park saying the same thing but like, yeah no, it doesn't and exist it's, and... it's very hard to get a, a grip on how widespread they are aren't they because sometimes yeah. you can check twitter and you can say okay there are some cranks here and there are also people being very rational and then you look at like as you say a youtube video and like the comments underneath are literally all the cranks or something you know but then i don't know it's sort of it's hard to make a judgment about how many people subscribe to these things yeah yeah it's really really hard to tell the scale of it Mm. and and also but i think the problem is it's not a binary it's not like you either think them or you don't there's kind of a spectrum and and the more you hear the sort of like drip drip of um for want of a better word fake news Mm. then you might you might not think that it's the sort of Bill Gates vaccination end of it but you might start to think it's all been a bit exaggerated and actually I probably don't need to wear a mask and I don't mm. need to worry about going and seeing my elderly infirm relatives and that kind of thing and yeah. I'm sort of there's yeah there's kind of a spectrum of of risk from this kind of fake news well I'm not going to ask you to provide solutions to that problem but has anything <laughs> come out of the podcast in like sort of easy wins that people can easily yeah i think one of the things that i'm really keen on doing is sort of in like giving people the skills so like thinking about drug use and like newspaper headlines around drugs how do you tell 
whether it's based on good quality evidence or bad quality evidence. So one of the things that I like to do in the podcast is kind of talk about how how something gets from a research article in like The Lancet or wherever it, to a headline in the Daily Mail. Mm. Other newspapers are available, thankfully. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so how do you tell whether something is sort of based on a really good quality source or whether the person who's writing the article has completely misunderstood it or hyped it or that kind of thing mm. and so having discussions about that i think like i think it's something we should all be taught in school really this kind of critical critical appraisal of stuff like rather yeah. than in terms of science lessons rather than teaching sort of facts and and history and not not history obviously history is great but like who like when did a particular scientist live and die that doesn't really matter in terms of the science what matters is Sci the scientific method is what we should be being taught of like mm -hmm. coming up with a question trying to disprove your hypothesis and learning from that like we could all benefit from being more able to change our minds when presented with new evidence yeah and i think that's something that as everything's getting more and more polarized and kind of polemic that we're sort of forgetting how to how to go oh i hadn't thought of it like that that's mm. really interesting i'm going to uh reassess my opinion or like yeah that's not a tweet you see very often is it evidence based oh yeah, right. yeah exactly. i'll reassess that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was dr susie gage what an amazing chat that was yeah it was brilliant very entertaining um yeah i think i realized we were talking a bit about that idea of going to Penny Lane and almost expecting to feel something, the kind of majesty of the place. And when you get to somewhere like that, I think what I was trying to explain was you get there and it's quite ordinary. Yeah. But that's the whole point of it. It is an ordinary place. It's just where he grew up. So it has the kind of magic of childhood there. Mm. But I think that's what I was trying to explain rather clumsily in the interview. <laughs> but these <laughs> like Cypress Avenue, Penny Lane, these yeah. are just these ordinary streets where people just happen to grow up and but because of the association with childhood, they had that magic. You know, I, I wasn't expecting to go to Penny Lane and for there to be a kind of fun fair and a kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. well, that would have been nice. That I mean, I will still... I've never been and I'm planning on a, a, a weekend in Liverpool quite soon, so I'm definitely going to go and be underwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> slash check it out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the main takeaways. Penny Lane's quite boring and drugs don't really help unless you're already a musical genius. Yeah, those um, are the kind of big takeaways, yeah, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a fascinating episode, and thank you so much, for Susie, for doing it. It was really enjoyable. Um, yeah. Her book and her podcast, Say Why Drugs, are available now, so go and check them out. I think it's available in hardback now, and it will be out in paperback later in the year, I believe. Hmm. Um, next week, we've got an, another amazing guest, uh, one of the UK's most successful songwriters, with more number one hits than you could swing a cat at, Mr. Guy Chambers, um, who very generously joined us an hour to talk about his work with Robbie Williams, writing unbelievable smash hits like uh, Angels and Let Me Entertain You, um, and also producing Paul McCartney in the studio and growing up going to Quarry Bank School, where John Lennon went to school, where he had uh, the same art teacher as John Lennon. So that is a fascinating episode coming next week too. Mm. It was a great chat, wasn't it? And he was very, very humble. And just he loves the Beatles so much. He's happy to talk to a couple of know-nothings like us, uh, <laughs> you know, and give us time, which was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very nice amazing. chat, you know. 
So yeah. do subscribe if you're if you're not subscribed already. And um, just a reminder that you can rate us five stars if you have enjoyed the uh, show on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on all of our social media channels at Personal Beatles and find any other information that you might want on personalbeatles.com. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.